The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Happy Easter, Church! It's so good to be with you this morning uh, through video again as we gather to celebrate uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ this Easter Sunday. Uh, this Easter, you know, is, is uh, different, right, than the past uh, that we can remember. Uh, I had a conversation this week uh, with Pastor Ken, and he mentioned that, uh, you know, even though we're not coming together uh, to worship together as God's people at the church building, like we're so used to doing on Easter Sunday, uh, that, that maybe this is an opportunity for us uh, to, to see that we're actually uh, maybe sitting in uh, similar places that the, than the disciples uh, found themselves that first Easter Sunday. You know, if you remember, uh, they were scared after Jesus had been crucified and they were they didn't want to be seen wandering around Jerusalem for fear that they would be crucified and too and so they huddled together in a, in a house uh, self isolated and that's when they heard first the good news and so um, you know we may not be gathering together but maybe this is an opportunity uh, for us to also hear the good news in a way we haven't heard it before. And so this morning, I want to invite you to, to see yourself um, in a similar situation to the women as they wandered to the tomb, looking to uh, do something, bring something, uh, contribute something to the burial of Jesus. We find them in crisis mode. I mean, think about it. Jesus is dead and it all happened so quickly. Right, like Holy Week is a short period of time and, and Jesus, you know, coming in on the donkey seems probably so far away for the women at this time. Imagine the thoughts that would have been going through their mind, right, three days after Jesus had been crucified and, and so the, the sh initial shock of it all would have been wearing off a little bit. And perhaps, you know, the, the frustration, the anger at the Jewish people for killing the man who'd given them so much hope. Maybe that anger and frustration was, was raging as they wandered to that tomb. You know, in times of crisis, questions come up inside of us that we didn't even know existed. It isn't a stretch to say that we find ourselves in a crisis kind of like the women did we find ourselves wrestling with questions similar to, to them as they wandered towards the tomb. Questions we couldn't have even imagined having, you know, two months ago. Questions like, will I get sick and die? Or, when will I be able to bring home the next paycheck? Or, what if I can't find a summer job? What if I can't pay for tuition in the fall? What about my hopes dreams. You know, we're at the stage where the initial shock of a national shutdown has worn off and, and the frustrations and the anger can come up. You know, as, as, as this goes on, 
You know, the, the longing in our hearts to, to just hang out and hug our grandkids gets more and more, and the frustration and the anger can come up. Or, or having the whole family home, trying to wrestle or, or, or juggle working from home, homeschooling kids, and, and, and realizing that you can't be the teacher that, that your kids need. The anger and frustration could come up. Or, you know, um, not being able to see your friends every day like you're used to at school. Being, feeling so, so much more alone and, and without, you know, camaraderie or, or um, yeah, friendship that you're so used to. We find ourselves this Easter morning in a similar place than the women did wandering to the tomb. And, and the one thing, though, in a crisis mode, everyone knows that they need saving. Saving from something. Right? The question is, where are we going to look for the hope, or the, the rest, or the, the um, friendship that we know that we need? I've personally realized that uh, during the past few weeks as a Christian, a crisis like this actually uncovers some of the things that have crept up inside us and began, began to function as our Savior. Even though we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is our Savior, there are other things that can, that can creep up in our hearts and, and practically function as our Savior. Right? And in a crisis like this, it forces us to, to meet these head on. You know, for many of us, the busyness of life has subsided as we are as we are basically confined to our homes for most of the, the day. And, and so the, the hustle and the bustle and the running around ha has slowed down and things start to come up. You know, conversations that we probably should have had a while ago. Things that we probably should have worked out in our families or in our relationships. You know, um, these things can't be avoided when busyness slows. A crisis uncovers some things that have been functioning as Jesus in our lives, as the one that gives us, uh, the person who gives us meaning and hope and rest and peace. And for those who don't identify as a Christian, a crisis like this can actually expose things that we thought could provide us with meaning and satisfaction in life, and, and now can't. But a recent survey by the American Stats Company, Gallup, shows us that the most important thing to the uh, 5 billion working age people, what they want, the most important thing, more than food, more than shelter, more than safety and peace, is a good, meaningful job. The quote from Gallup is this, Gallup defines a good job as one with 30 plus hours of work a week with a consistent paycheck from an employer. A great job is a job where you believe your boss cares about your development, where you can use your strengths every day at work and you believe your work makes a contribution to something so your job matters and subsequently your life matters. That's a good job and, and a great job. And many of us find ourselves with good jobs and great jobs, except for now in a crisis when we found ourselves laid off. You know, what happens when the thing that we want more than shelter, more than food, more than safety and peace is taken away for us, from us? 
And maybe it's not just two weeks. What if this is two months, three months, four months? You know, during this time, we can't say, I know I'm okay because I have a good job. And so, where do we look for meaning in life when the thing that we normally uh, get meaning from is taken away? It exposes things that we thought could be our savior that can't. And so the question that the women faced as they made their way through the city of Jerusalem and out and down the rocky path towards the tomb to the place where Jesus' body lay is similar to the question that we find ourselves asking. Where can we find hope when hope seems to be taken away? Where do we find peace and security in the midst of a crisis, including the crisis of death? And the women, that first Easter morning, they, they met gospel. They met good news. They met the risen Jesus who gave his life for them and rose triumphant from the grave. Many of us know this story. We know this story well, but do we embrace this story in our lives? Does it make a tangible difference in the way that we feel and the way that we act? Do we respond to this gospel? Do we find confidence in it, in a time where it's really hard to find confidence in something? You know, it, it's a little like baking. right? It, um, no one can look at, at, at some brownies right, and see all the different ingredients that make up the brownies. If I'm going to make delicious brownies, I need the ingredients broken down in a recipe so that I can understand you know, what goes into making them and put it all together, and put it in the oven. Many of us, you know, we know the gospel, we can see the gospel, but when it comes to applying it to our lives, it can sometimes be like we're looking at brownies and we don't know what exactly goes into it. We know what they look like, we know what it is, we don't know what goes into it. And so this, this Sunday, uh, we're going to pull apart the, the, the way that the women experienced the good news of the gospel that first Easter morning. And look at the key ingredients in this passage for gospel confidence. You know, how do we have gospel confidence? There's three things, three ingredients for us to live in gospel confidence. We need to hear the good news often. We need to experience the good news personally. And we need to proclaim the good news to others around us. We need to hear the good news, we need to experience the good news, and we need to proclaim the good news. So first, we need to hear the good news often. You know, words are very powerful things, right? Words can build people up, they can make people strong and confident, and they can also tear people down. Uh, Tracy and I, uh, because of this pandemic, subscribed to Netflix. Again, as probably many, many other people have. And um, one of the things that we've been watching is A Blast from the Past. And it's um, some, of the, some of the episodes in a show called Gilmore Girls. Now, for anyone younger than 25, and this is actually a little bit embarrassing for me to be sharing that I, I watch this TV show. Um, if you don't know what it is, you can ask your parents. If your parents don't know what it is, you can Google it. Uh, but it's a TV show about a single mom and a daughter in a small town in the United States. And in one of the episodes, um, Rory, 
the daughter, has an internship with a big newspaper. Rory's going to Yale. Uh, she's killing it. She has this great internship. She wants to be a journalist, and she got a good internship. But near the end, she asked her supervisor for feedback. How am I doing? Right? She asked, how, how, what, what strengths do you see in me? What weaknesses do you see in me? And, and the, the um, supervisor looked at her and said, you know, I've been in journalism business for so long. I have a good sense of what it takes to make it. And Rory, I've got to tell you, you don't have what it takes. And those, those words uh, ripped Rory apart and sent her, her life into a tailspin. She dropped out of school. She lost meaning and purpose in her life. Words are powerful. Notice that it's words that changed the women first on that Easter Sunday. The angel that has appeared to them that is so glorious and magnificent says to them, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. That these are powerful words that, that are heard by these women. Transformative words. He's not here. He has risen means that he's defeated death. He's not here. He has risen means that Jesus Christ says, has done what, what, what the, the story of the Bible has come to, climaxed to, that, that we've been looking to for a savior, one who's going to save the world and defeat sin and death. That means Jesus has changed the course of human history. He is not here. He's risen means this is good news, not just for the women, but for the world, for the whole world. He has risen means that, that viruses don't win in the end. They don't. He has risen means death doesn't have the final word. You know, how do you tell yourself this? How do you, do you say to yourself the good news? Is it a daily thing? Are you in scripture every day? Telling yourself over and over and over again these words. Um, a member of our church pointed out to me a sermon by another pastor, Robbie Simons, in Oakville, who shared some staggering facts with his church about uh, people who read scripture regularly. He said, a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement polled 40,000 people on their scripture reading habits. And they discovered something that became a sort of a watershed moment. People who read scripture... Uh, one time per week. That could be the, the pastor you know, preaching on Sunday morning, or it could be a devotional. Um, one time a week. Don't see much change in their lives. People who read their, uh, the, the scripture twice a week uh, is the same. They don't, they don't see that much change. Three times a week, there's a blip on the radar, they said, um, that people see the gospel coming to life in them. But when people read scripture four times a week, the, the trajectory scoops up. It's a watershed. Feeling lonely 
among those polled who, who read scripture four times a week reported 30% less uh, a feeling of loneliness, 32% less bitterness in relationships, 40% uh, less alcoholism, 50% uh, more uh, spiritual engagement in other areas of their lives. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Now, even if you're skeptical of numbers, what comes across loud and clear is that being in Scripture, reading the good news, changes our lives. Right? This is probably why Justin Early, the, the author of the book called The Common Rule, says that a, a, a watershed habit for him was Scripture before phone. He reads the Bible before he looks at his cell phone. Why? Why is it so important to, to, to hear the good news before looking at other news or news feeds or, or people's news? Because we are so easily led astray by the other news and we believe that in our heart. This is why Jeff Vanderstelt, I said this a few weeks ago, puts it like this. He says, you know, I have a conversation with my wife and she points out something I've yet to be better at. And I hear the word failure. In my head. I try to lead a good conversation about the Bible at dinner with my kids, but instead of eager beavers on the edge of their seats, I get slouched bodies and rolled eyes. I hear in my head, bad father. You know, what do you hear in your head throughout the day? What voices inside you rise above the words of gospel, of good news, that Jesus loves you? died for you, rose again victorious for you. Gospel confidence comes through hearing the good news over and over and over and over again. Martin Luther, uh, the, the famous um, reformer, famously quotes as encouraging pastors and Bible people who are, who are teaching and preaching. He said, we need our people to know the gospel, so we need to teach the gospel. We ourselves need to know the gospel. And we need to bang it into people's heads repeatedly. And now as First Hamilton, as your pastor, I hope, and it's my prayer that I, do, I bang you over the head with the gospel every Sunday. Because we are a people that need to hear it over and over and over and over again. But we can't just hear it. We, we need to experience it. The women experienced good news personally in two different ways. First, through the empty grave, and then in meeting Jesus. See, after they received the good news from the angel, he actually invites them. He says, come, see the place where he lay. Right? It isn't enough for them just to hear the good news. They need to, they need to know, right? we're, we're physical, we're tactile beings. Right? We're, we're, we're human beings, and we need to be able to touch things and feel things and see things. And so he calls them and invites them. He says, come and see the place where he was. He's not there anymore. See it. You need to experience this good news. And then as they leave the tomb and go to tell the disciples about their experience, they actually run into the risen Savior himself, Jesus, who yells out to them, Hi. <laughs> That's the best translation of, uh, of the, the word greetings that, that um, 
most Bible scholars will say is such a common expression. It's like any friend would greet someone. You say, hey there, how's it going? One commentator I read uh, says that this greeting is actually important. It's actually crucial. It's a way for Jesus to say, I forgive you for abandoning me. I forgive you for, for not being there in, in my hour of need. And, and, and he sends the, the women to tell the disciples, they're forgiven. Right? They're ex he's, he's, he's gone to the grave and come back to reconcile them. All is forgiven. The good news permeates all areas of their lives and our lives. And, and Jesus knows that, that, that we can't just hear the good news, we need to experience the good news in our lives personally. Do you feel like, like you have found your way in, in the shoes of the disciples and failed Jesus? What's the sh what's, what shame do you feel for things that you've said or done in your life? Do you sometimes feel like you don't deserve the forgiveness that Jesus offers? When you hear that, that you're a son and, or a daughter of the king of the universe, does that make you feel a little bit inadequate? Like, why me? Because I feel like that often. And the good news for us is that Jesus gives us Opportunities to experience gospel, good news, every day. Right? God's helper, the Holy Spirit, is, is actually sent to us for this reason, as our catechism says, to be an encourager, to be the one that helps us experience good news personally in our lives. Can we let ourselves experience the power of the Holy Spirit that, that tells us and, 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 and makes it clear to us through the words of Scripture that we are not alone, right? In our everyday experiences, the things that we say or do, is it, do, we, do we hear the words forgiven, beloved, secure, delighted upon, safe, significant in the eyes of the Father? The gospel in a crisis is this, that even though everything on the outside seems to be falling away, because of the cross and the resurrection, we've actually never been more safe. We've never been more secure in Jesus. More forgiven and accepted than ever before. We can observe the empty grave and the life we receive through it as a gift. We can hear the words of greeting from Jesus to us and say, saying, you know, all is forgiven. We, we can experience these things because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. Do we let the Holy Spirit in? I was reading this week a theologian named Jonathan Edwards, and he has a book all about experiencing the gospel in our affections. It's called Religious Affections. So affections are the way that we feel, our emotions, and our experiences. And he writes about an experience he had riding in the woods in a beautiful trail. And he says, I had a view that for me was extraordinary. 
the, the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and his wonderful, great, pure, and sweet grace and love, and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which can, as, I, as, I ne as near as I can judge for about an hour, which kept me in the greater part of the time in a flood of tears, weeping aloud, I felt an ardency of, of a soul to be. Would I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust, to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust him, to live upon him, to serve him, follow him, and to be perfectly satisfied and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. And then he says, I have several other times had views very much of the same nature and which have had the same effects. What Edwards is saying there is he saw something so beautiful in his, in his ride in the woods that it just testified to the greatness of God, the beauty of Christ's grace that he would give him such an experience. Jonathan Edwards experienced the gospel and it came to him through a ride in the woods. So where are the opportunities in our lives to experience that? Do we see them? This is, isn't the only way we experience the gospel in our lives, though. It also, it happens, you know, Jonathan Edwards is telling us of a good time in our lives, but we also experience gospel truth through the bad times. Some of you may know the story of Horatio Spafford. He lost his family tragically in a shipwreck at sea. And in the midst of his pain and grief, he penned words that we sing today. When peace, like a river, attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. It's almost harder to um, see ourselves in the shoes of Spafford and to see how he could write those words in the midst of such pain. But so what leads these two? Edwards, you know, in this beautiful view to see Christ and, and Spafford to, um, to, to, to pen these words in the midst of so much grief and, and loss these two people move past the principles of the Bible. They move past the words of Scripture and they see the beauty of Jesus. They let Jesus into their broken and sinful lives and let his words of grace flood over them. The women did the same, right? They responded. How did they respond to Jesus greeting them? They worshipped him. They fell at his feet. They adored him as king. The way that they fall at his feet is, is, is a way that someone would, would fall at the feet of a king. 
They let their experience of the words of Jesus in their lives, they, they, they allow that to be the way they respond to him. They did quick gospel application. Now the last ingredient this morning for gospel confidence, hear the words of gospel often, experience them every day or as often as we can, and proclaim the good news to others. Part of the message from the angels uh, was, uh, and Jesus himself, was not to keep the good news to themselves. This is not a message that, that was just for the women. They had to proclaim, they had to tell the good news to other people. They were sent from the tomb to do that, to tell the disciples. And, and shortly after, um, to, to, Jesus gives the Great Commission, right in Matthew 28, that says, um, go into the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we know this, we hear this. And for a lot of us, this strikes a, a lot of anxiety in us when we hear that, that part of the ingredients for gospel confidence is proclaiming the good news to others. What, how does this work? Why do I need to tell other people about Jesus for the gospel to, to give me confidence in, in a crisis like this? How does that help me hold on to things? And um, I, uh, I was struck a few years ago when I heard a New York City pastor named David Bisgrove share his experience of evangelism and the power of evangelism in his own experience in the Christian faith. When he said this, he said, when we talk about spiritual formation, so when we talk about growing as a Christian, having confidence in, in the gospel, there is a tendency to put discipleship and evangelism against each other. That they don't really court, they don't really go together. One does one thing, the other does the other thing. But he said, I don't know of anything that is better for your prayer life, for your understanding of scripture, or your understanding of God's love for you, than sharing your faith with someone who doesn't believe it. It will drive you to your knees in prayer. It will drive you into scripture. And it will drive you into the arms of Jesus. What if the invitation to the women at the tomb to proclaim the good news to the disciples is just as much for the women as it is for the disciples? What if it is to help them grow in their mustard seed faith? Just as much as it is for the disciples to hear the good news. What if telling other people about the good news that we hold so dear to our hearts is just as much for our personal growth as Christians as it is to bring others into communion with God? What if it's actually more important now in a crisis for our faith than it is at any other time. Notice that Jesus never, and I repeat, never puts the pressure on the women to convince the disciples about anything. We can so easily take a step back from the call to share the good news with others. 
because we think we have to convince them of something. When that's never what Jesus asks these women to do. He simply says, go and tell. What if we just told people and trusted that Jesus would do the heavy lifting? Church, these are all ingredients for gospel confidence that actually come together in the table that's before us this morning. The table that Jesus hosts uh, at. When we come to the table, there's words, gospel words spoken. Right? The bread is Jesus' body broken for you. The cup is Jesus' blood poured out for you. These are words that we hear that tell us the gospel. Jesus also gives us, serves us tangible, tactile, physical things in the bread and the cup that we taste, that we, that we drink, that we experience. He sends his Holy Spirit, you know, we pray in the, in the prayer of consecration, send your Holy Spirit to make this bread and this cup for us, the body and blood of Christ, because the Holy Spirit plays a role in this to help us experience the gospel like nothing else. And the table leads us out to proclaim good news to others. At the end of, of, of our Lord's Supper time, I often end with a prayer that says, you know, we take us out as changed people because we have tasted the living bread and can't remain the same. This, this changes us and we can't help it but share the faith with others. Congregation, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table today, in our homes, we remember that this is a table for those who are in crisis, spiritual crisis, physical crisis, emotional crisis. We are all in need of saving. And Jesus Christ has paid it all. So come, people who are looking for a hope that, that goes beyond this world. A hope that, that can't be shaken by things that happen in this world. A peace that suffering can't take away from us. And a purpose in life, the, the, the purpose to, to give glory to God in anything that we do. That, that no layoff or isolation can take away from us. This is the table that is the great recipe of assurance to us because Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. So let us come to the table and worship our Savior, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are able to uh, hear words of gospel this morning. Father, that we are able to experience uh, the bread and the cup, the, the body of Jesus Christ broken for us, the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for us. Father, we, we also thank you that, that you have enabled us, empowered us, to be agents 
of this gospel sent out into the world to proclaim good news to the poor, to the sinner, to the outcast. Father, as we uh, wrestle with what it means to be Christians in a crisis, uh, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit that would help us to know how we can respond. Help us to know faithful ways of reaching out to our neighbors and our friends and extending Jesus to them. Father, we know that we can't do this without you and without your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you give us your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen.